National Association for the Visual Arts is the peak body protecting and promoting the professional interests of the Australian visual arts. Nava in Conversation is a series exploring the issues and challenges of working in the sector. We speak with artists, curators and administrators to gain insight into the experiences of contemporary practice and seek to propose ideas for change, progress and resilience in both local and global contexts. She's the executive director of NAVA, and I have the great fun of sitting here right next to Abdul Rahman Abdullah. Hello. Hey Esther. It's really great to meet you. Finally. Good to, good to meet you, finally. We got we got to hang out, hang out. We hung out a bit last night um, at Palace, which was um, really great. Like just to see so many people. But now we get to properly talk, which is super nice. Yeah, that was really nice. Uh, the opening last night was it was great. They really. It's funny because, I mean, I haven't really been thinking about it a lot. You know? yeah. I'm just participating as an artist and I get there and it's massive. Like, <laughs> I, know, I know UNSW Galleries is a really institutional space, but to get in there and see how vast the shows were, was yeah. it was fantastic. Yeah. And downstairs, Christian shows, just like, it's a little bit overwhelming almost. So many Christian Thompsons in one room, it's amazing. Oh, <laughs> I, I loved I, it. I was quite overwhelmed too, because mm. I wasn't really familiar with the whole breadth of his work. I'd certainly seen yeah. um, the kind of, you know, the, the self-portrait images where he inserts himself into those really colonial Australian kind oh, of... Oh, absolutely. You know. There's some iconic images. Oh. I remember doing um, presentations on those images when I was at uni. <laughs> 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 And I was really, I've had met Christian very briefly once before, but it was really nice to actually re-meet him. Yeah, for sure. And he can sing. <laughs> yeah, like, damn. Very impressive. Oh, my goodness. And these are kind of like, even when you know an artist and you know their work, it's always a sort of a re-meeting when you see their work in a gallery, but also when you're in a show together, I imagine, oh, for you. Yeah, it's a nice feeling. Because mm. yeah, I'm still a fairly new artist. This is my sixth year of guess since I graduated mm. um, so I can you know I'm, I'm emerging in some ways and to go in there and be sort of you know showing in the same space with someone like Christian Thompson I mean mind you there were some artists in the show in Kalas you know Khalid Zabsabi and Kali Mali and people like this who are you know they've always been heroes of mine and it's so nice to be showing alongside them yeah that's an honour mm. that's just such to a I feel like a peer is a really good important thing as an artist I think. yeah mm. Yeah, tell me more about that, that difference between feeling like a peer and feeling emerging. Like, there's, I think there's probably real um, strength and power in both. Like, there's, there's a certain mm. license that you have when you're emerging because, hey, I'm putting this out there, I'm kind of... And, and people have got a sense that an artist is at an, a, um, a particular early stage in a career. Yeah. So expect a certain kind of... Um, I don't know, like there's there's a newness and a risk and so on and maybe emerging... I think those, those labels of, you know, emerging, mid-career, established mm. and so on and so forth, is, um, they're actually, you can leverage off them in a way and yeah. they, I guess you can use them to your advantage. When I first graduated, I really, I you know, I took pains to frame myself as an emerging artist because I was a mature age student, I was 35 when I started my career, I guess. Mm. So I really wanted to sort of let people know that I was at the beginning of my career. Um, I don't know, I just felt it was important to me and I was, you know, I hadn't, I hadn't earned anything beyond that <laughs> and I always described myself as an emerging artist and at the time for, uh, like, you know, certain funding applications and that sort of thing, you need to. 
and you need to, um, I guess, reinforce that. But then when I did the Adelaide manual, my brother rang me up and told me off for calling myself an emerging artist <laughs> and said, no one else thinks you're emerging anymore. <laughs> so, uh, fair enough. So I took it off my website. Oh, <laughs> yeah. How did that feel? It was a good feeling, but, you know, yeah. to go, I guess, um, I mean, it was coming from a brother. We always talk about it. We're constantly talking about art and trajectories and yeah. etc. Um, no, it was, it was like, I guess you just, you could feel like a peer with sort of whatever artist you meet. And that's a big deal for an artist. Oh, totally, totally. Because like you say, there's people that you've admired, there's people like, you know, you've seen their work and you wouldn't necessarily have the chance or have the thought that you might get to meet and discuss and even work together. And then suddenly Mm. that happens. That must be just, yeah, like a thrill and also intimidating and wondrous. Oh, absolutely. So many people I meet who I'm chatting to and I tend to just blah, 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 and I'm sitting there going, oh, I hope they don't think I'm dumb. <laughs> like, art is full of those people with so many brains, seriously. There are a lot of brains. But then all the brains people probably think that they're going to come across dumb as well. Well, they don't. <laughs> it's full of the most ridiculous... Whenever I'm doing panels, everyone's a doctor. Always looking around going, well, this is like half a million dollars worth of hex debt right here. <laughs> and yeah, I got my little undergrad and, you know, maybe later on. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, I do find that kind of fun, but it's such an overeducated field, I think, which is uh, amazing. Yeah. Well, there's, um, I can't remember who said this, possibly Ben Eltham, but um, someone who has written about how uh, artists in Australia possibly elsewhere in the world, but in particular in Australia, artists are the most over-educated underclass. Oh, absolutely. You'll never get minimum wage after, like, you know, eight, ten years of uni. <laughs> and, like, the most... But artists are so incredibly articulate. Yeah. You know, both as a result of education, but, you know, I think more as a result of uh, just working in different creative industries. Yeah. You know, whether it's writing or speaking or whatever it is. People just become articulate whether they want to or not. And even people <laughs> who resist it, it's just you will become articulate. It's true. There's just mm. so much so much call upon you to, um, I guess, talk about your work. And yeah. um, in art schools, from a, well, as soon as, as people start, it's, you know, what's your artist statement? What's your sort of definitive? Oh, yeah. How yeah. are you even, you know, defining yourself in the world? Mm. But then... And um, you get thrown in at the deep end from day one. End. <laughs> Which is a good and a bad thing, too. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Well, it's kind of, you know, like you're about to embark on this incredibly risky, extraordinary thing as an artist and then having mm. to, you know, almost like just define but also defend, like why are you going to be an artist and what does that even yeah, mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. I guess it's one of those like, I know it's quite hard to talk about, describe art school to people outside of art or who have never gone through art school. And it's always a funny thing I remember, um, like, sitting there at uni and wondering this is, you know, this whole, like, universe around you where people are learning how to save lives, build buildings, you know, make bridges that don't fall down. And we've been discussing a bucket for four <laughs> hours or something like that. And it's a very intense conversation. <laughs> Sometimes you go, hmm, you know, a little bit of perspective. But uh, this is important. This is culture. 
<laughs> and I thought of that way. It's like this whole microcosm, like this campus you're on, and then just, just you know, hundreds of metres from you, there's, you know, the world's problems being addressed or not. I like to think, but then you wander outside and you're going, oh, my God, I want nothing to do with the rest of it. <laughs> Bring me back to that little, the arts end of the uni. <laughs> so tell us which art school you went to and, and, and what was it like? Um... Well, I graduated in 2012, but uh, over my life, I think I went to five different art schools. Yeah, wow. Right, when I finished high school, I went to, um, at the time, it was called Perth Tech, which was now Central TAFE, now it's called something else, and did a first year there, dropped out of that, went to Curtin Uni, did a first year there, dropped out of that, went to Edith Cowan Uni a couple of years later, started a second year, dropped out of that. So I had like good a good, work. had a good degree's worth of first CV. years. That's yeah. right. <laughs> and then I worked um, oh, for a good 15 years and, you know, doing all sorts of shit kicking until I ended up being a, an illustrator and a, a Christmas designer for a while. I used to design and build animal enclosures for Perth Zoo and yeah, as a commercial sculptor, like model maker, you do um, art department stuff, ads. and But the biggest focus we were doing is zoo stuff. Animal sculptures for the zoo, habitats for the zoo. I had no background in designing and building stuff like that. Amazing. But, how, um, did that, how did that connect up? By doing very, very pretty visuals that mm-hmm. got the um, got the tenders and then winged our way through it. And, it, you know, it's amazing what you can do with concrete. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I did that for like about eight years or so. And then I was, I was a Christmas designer throughout all of that, just contract working and things like that. But I always knew that I was going to come back to art. It is something that you just know, isn't it? Oh, yeah, because, you know, when, from high school when I was a kid, it was always art was going to be the future. But mm. I didn't know what an artist was for such a long time. And it took my um, brother, Abdul Abdullah, till he went um, to art school, and I was living with him at the time. And, you know, that... Um, I just knew once he'd finished, I was going, it's time for me to go back. Mm. Especially once he started kicking along into a career. It's like, he's the younger brother, <laughs> but, you know, to me, he's the older brother because he really sort of paved a bit of a way and this was the catalyst, I guess. So he graduated in 2008 and 2010, I went back and did another first year, <laughs> this time at VCA. <laughs> yeah. And then I dropped out of that <laughs> and went back to Curtin Uni. So after all of that, Curtin Uni was the first time I'd spent two years consecutively in one art school, (laughs) but I did it. (laughs) (laughs) You were saying just a moment ago that there was a sense um, through that of just not quite knowing what an artist was. Um, What do you think an artist is? Oh, God. I know what they're not. (laughs) Tell us us what they're not. (laughs) Ah. What an artist is, I guess. I'm going to go back to what, it, what they are. Yeah. <laughs> I guess they're, a, they're cultural producers of some sort. Mm. And I must admit, I will focus on being a visual artist, you know, and that because that is my world because there's so many corners to the arts. Yeah. And they're all, you know, everyone's an artist in that respect. Um, but uh, I guess a visual artist is someone who documents a lived culture mm. and creates artefacts of that lived culture, I guess, is the way I'd describe it. And that's very broad how that might articulate itself. 
I like that though because there's a sense of like um, cultural production you know being about you know there are things that make up our culture and you know culture being I guess the the practices the gestures the objects the works that mm. that make us who we are the, where we contest our identity where we make ourselves who we are where we make meaning and um, and also where we kind of connect with each other and ourselves around what we enjoy and what startles us, what makes us curious. And so then yeah, to yeah. document that. Um, to document or communicate it in mm, some way, shape or form. Mm, mm. You know, and it goes from, from the very tangible to the, you know, completely ephemeral. Like, that's what I love about it. I always think of artists as um, superheroes with a very broad variety of very minor powers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> that is brilliant. Like, we'd be the, the, the lesser X people. <laughs> yeah. And maybe you could like bring a few of them together and they'd each have like minor powers that are complementary. Or they'd end up scrapping out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I mean, you look through what artists do, you know, some, some people have got the power to, you know, make these um, beautiful little things in ceramics and some people, you know, mm. have the power to like perform something in an insane way that I would never, would never occur to me. Yeah. Don't know how it's going to fight crime, but <laughs> we've all got a little power to bring to the table. <laughs> mm, fight crime. What a fight crime. What would the superpower be? Because it's kind of, um, it's fighting all sorts of things like, um, you know, public bullshit. Like there's a yeah. real honesty to art. There's a cut through. There's a fight a... cultural crime. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's fighting crimes yeah. against culture. Yeah. <laughs> Or committing them. Oh, oh, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, documenting, but there's also like a telling the future or showing an alternative, like documenting yeah, something yeah, that doesn't yeah. exist. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like a beautiful gold triceratops. Oh, yes, this is true. It does exist. I've seen one. Just the UNSW. What are you talking about? <laughs> that was great. That was actually my um, my graduate work from Curtin Uni. Ah. Um, so it was really nice to actually bring it back to... Um, Bring back to life. I haven't really shown it much recently, mm-hmm. and it was a that um yeah that was a funny one. That was really drawing on my pre-art days of model making and you know that sort of I guess studio skills you don't learn at art school and um, exhausting them in a way for an art mm. outcome. I guess oh, it's yeah. a nice little transitional thing. Well, I mean, like as a work, it is like superbly crafted and beautiful you know like oh thank you yeah. to, oh you just yeah particularly in this in that space at you know Sally galleries with the, the the way that it's been lit and you just want to you know be near it but then it also like you know it makes you think of um idols and false idols and, and yeah, yeah, yeah yeah well i guess i was i mean i suppose you learn how you know you're constantly learning about why you do what you do and Etc. But yeah. it's at the time I was sort of creating that that idol of childhood kind of thing. And yeah. it was like you know it's hard to when you think about why you make things and wonder if, like is this a valid exploration? Is this you know is, <laughs> is this valid? the content that art can be? Mm. But I was quite literally making a triceratops as a dog-sized thing, as a like imagining it as a pet that you could you know, walk down the street with. And I guess. You know, just I guess there's a simplicity in that idea, but then you know you overlay it with a whole bunch of other things 
but that was the basis of it. I was like, imagine having a, dino, a pet triceratops this big. <laughs> like, nice little Labrador-sized one. <laughs> I'd be a real shin-breaker, but with the horns. <laughs> oh, <Yeah. my> God. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, you know, there goes the furniture. Think about people with cats and dogs and, you know, but it's why do we domesticate animals? Yeah. Like, why do we, why do we do that? And they look after us a bit and we look after them. But yeah. imagine domesticating a dinosaur. A little one. Yeah. <laughs> a little bite-sized one. Yeah. It would probably growl at you and make you think about, you know, the depth of time. And leave dinosaur poops all over the lawn. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because I do so many animals in my work, um, but I'm not really that much of an animal person. Hmm. Um, now I'm surrounded by them where I live, but... Um, yeah, I don't know. It's always something not not struggled with, but I always wondered why I you know, try to articulate ideas with animals yeah. so much. That is intriguing. So you're not kind of do you have so you're on a property with lots of cattle, but do you have a pet of any kind? I have a pet goat, Trevor. Tell us yeah. about Trevor. Ah, uh, Trevor was a little feral goat who uh, we ended up adopting after his mother was killed by a dog. So we took him in. He was like a month old or something. Uh, a very cute little guy. Oh, goats are ridiculously cute yeah. that age. Eh? Where they jump around and twist and... Oh, when he gets excited, he does a little jumping and bucking. Now he does a fair bit of head butting, which is... Oh, yeah, <laughs> he gets quite... They get a little bit aggro. Can <laughs> <laughs> yeah. imagine the triceratops head butting? You just to say hello. Oh, there, there's the shin break. Yeah, it's funny because I don't have... I mean, I haven't... I love cats, but I haven't mm. owned one for a very long time. Now mm. I live on a farm. I've come to the conclusion that I can't own one because I'm surrounded by little birds, oh, little blue yeah, wrens. And, oh, no, 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 no. Yeah, and so I was just, no, damn it. That's my hopes and dreams of owning a cat again. <laughs> Dashed. <laughs> Maybe that animals in your work is about, I don't know, we, we think about our own humanity, we think about time in different ways. There's a... Oh, yeah. Well, what mm. I do like is because... Generally, the animals I do use are either very domestic, very mundane, suburban. Because, I mean, I always grew up in the middle of the city. I was Now I live sort of in a rural environment, but that, that's a very new thing. Um, but I'll, I guess there's a strategy to it in some way because um, everyone's got some sort of relationship, at least with the idea of these animals. It's a cat, dog, snakes, you know, sheep, baby camel, not so much, but there it is. Um, <laughs> Yeah, animals like that, where everyone has encountered them or has a good, has some understanding of what they are, and they all bring their own sort of mythology, I guess, and and a few birds as well, mostly pigeons actually, mm. so far, but um, pigeons and crows, things that I do like, you things that are wild and not wild, right? Like, yeah, yeah, like wild um, and not wild. Yeah, especially like cats, crows, pigeons, things which are such a common encounter. They're part of the uh, visual vernacular, I guess, in the suburbs. Um, you know, so ordinary, but still a wild animal. Even a cat, you know, let's not pretend cats have ever been really domesticated. Oh, <laughs> yeah. no. Well, when they're domesticated, we're really their pets. Yes. Yeah. And I remember an old friend telling me uh, a long time ago who was involved in having to go out and catch feral cats because of obviously, you know, their yeah. structure and environment. It's an amazing thing where which I was reminded, actually, when I saw um, the Triceratops, but also thinking about, you know, the depiction of, of yeah, wild and not wild animals, cats, when um, when they go and, you know, run away, yeah. um, they grow 
rather quickly. Um, do they get much? Do they get big? Their, uh, I don't know about big in size, but, mm. the, but 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 their their claws and other things and, and muscles grow rather rather quickly to the point oh, where the cat can be would, unrecognizable, yeah. um, and that makes them quite hard to find. So there's that sense of you know it was domestic, but put it in a different context. And oh, overnight it returns to the wild. <laughs> yeah, it's always there. Yeah. Although I have met some cats who would probably really struggle. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Depending on how well look after they do. Yes, they tend to do, go very plump and happy in the right environment. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so tell me about sort of being being in Kalas, which of course means enough, and yeah. it's, um, it must have been a couple of dozen artists involved. Oh, like it's God, a, I'm not it's really sure show. how many. There's up to about 20 artists. Yeah, 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 yeah. How, what was the what was that process like of um, you know I guess being curated in but getting to have those conversations with each other because you're, the yeah. work in this space is very much having a conversation with each other like you know you, you can't help oh it's, it's quite a busy space there. after all of that I mean some of yeah. the works are quite you know introspective and quiet but there's there's a lot of work and yeah. there's a lot of um, quite loud work as well um, I guess the show was curated by Philip George and Nusha Kemby. And, I mean, I know them both, and particularly Noor. We've uh, worked together quite a lot. And, she's amazing. Oh, she's a powerhouse, yeah. 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 And um, I've worked together as part of the Eleven Collective, which is a collective of Muslim Australian artists. Um, but this show, it's got a lot of people from that collective, but it's got just as many Muslim artists from, from just the community as well. Um, it's funny because we all tend to know each other. We spot a name a mile off and there's always a sort of, a, a, it's yep. almost a familial yep. um, relationship. You already, in some sense, kind of know who each other is. And there's not that many Muslim artists. Yeah. There really is, like, you know, because we are constantly on the lookout for who's around. Most of them in Sydney. <laughs> Western yeah. Sydney. Yeah. Well, this is, yeah, exactly. So this was a, a really, you know, wonderful welcome thing mm. for me coming back to Sydney and um, after quite some time. And um, I was saying to a few of us last night, like, I've always had this radar for, like, where are the wogs? Where are the wogs? What are we Oh, doing? yeah, you just see Why your own. You want to, yeah, like, you want to, and it's, again, oh, it's the name quite yeah, often. Exactly. You can spot it a mile away. Yeah. Well, usually the names are about this long. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Either way. Yeah. <laughs> and so you want to draw that connection and go, okay, yeah. oh, how did you, what made you choose this? How did you, because there are all sorts of, you know, um, I don't know what to wear, like barriers or like, you know, we weren't necessarily, it wasn't, the, you know, the most welcome thing for us to choose artistic careers. And so you want no. to know what, what, what happened and what inspired people. And yeah, well, every one of them just about will have some reason. Yeah. Other than, you know, they all, you know, they always had an understanding of what art is, you know, because when I grew up, I didn't know what an artist was yeah. or what art was. I mean, we used to go yeah, to the same. State Gallery and that and it was amazing, but I didn't really ever consider that people could own art or people could be a professional artist or yeah. let alone, you know, you know, a writer or a, or a musician or a singer, you know, any of these sort of creative pursuits. Mm. You know, among Muslim families and kids, it's just not a thing. You yeah. won't... Um, yeah, it's just... I guess it's... Um, everyone was kind of poor 
And art was always, yep. I guess, it was a rich person's thing. Yep. And it Ex- just... Yeah, exactly. Like, I'd never been to someone's house and they had actual art. Seen <laughs> 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 so yes. plenty of things on walls, but never art. <laughs> yeah. no. There are these things in, 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 in walk houses that I feel like everyone's got. There are these, like, you know, certain paintings, certain, you know, mass-produced yeah. things, the curtains, the, you know, there's, there's a few things. But then the bizarre thing is, like, in the Greek tradition and also in the Islamic tradition, so rich and so long of, like you were saying before about, documenting a culture or there's such a tradition of making crafting and yet I don't know is it the migrant experience is it the you know our family anxious about us not doing money making things like there's just you know you'd think that our culture Mm. would would you know push us towards that kind of creative work well the funny thing I guess I mean when you say culture and Muslims there is definitely a Muslim cultures and lots of commonalities but They are so tied into different ethnicities and yeah. ethnic groups and that's such yeah. a big part of their identity and quite often it overlaps a lot and it's hard to tell the difference between what is a, you know, a cultural thing and what's actually from being a Muslim, especially yeah. kids because we were, yeah. mum's Malay and dad's Australian so we were mixed and so many people we knew were the same sorts of mix, half Malay, half Australian, Indonesian, mm. um, Christmas Islanders, Cocker Islanders, all, all mixed families like that. So it was a real mishmash. Um, and the other side of it too, in Perth it was quite a small community. So then you get all, you know, Arabs and Africans and everyone else would be we'd all cling together because there was yeah. so you know, not that many Muslims at the time. So it was a real mashup, which I guess when I come to Sydney, like it's um it's, I guess it's not a surprise because I do I do have an understanding of Sydney. <laughs> but how big the communities are yeah, here. Yeah. So there's giant Lebanese communities, there's giant like um, you know, now Somalis and Sydneys and all that. There's like there's enough of them to have their own sort of communities, and there's a bit less of a mashup. Although we're all you know, we're all Muslims, um, but I really like that. I think it actually influenced me a lot as a kid. This complete mashup of you know Australian, Malay, mm. Muslim, and what, everything else just sort of squished in together, and not really, I guess, platforming anything above the other. Um, and that's yeah. sort of what I want to do in my oh, work, sort yeah. of like bring all these different things together. Like um, Huda said last night, these micro-narratives and sort of seeing what comes of that. Um, yeah, because I never felt, sort of, I guess, obligated to a particular community myself because I was just a mashup. <laughs> yeah. And there's and the kind of the 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 strength I guess of, of that kind of mashup and um, you know thinking about all those micro narratives is, you know, I guess in, in some ways it means that, you know, whether whether we're an artist or not, we're constantly thinking about identity and place and all that. Like you can't not oh, like how yeah, do I yeah, relate yeah. to whatever the dominant culture is supposed yeah. to be and and then what about Whatever it what is, I it's make? just not you, right? You just know, <laughs> you know that from day one. Yeah. <laughs> Penelope and Holly and I having a conversation a little while ago about like and, and, and Claudia about is, is there a mainstream? Like is there an Australian mainstream? And then we thought, well, I think there is there it's is. not us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Whatever yeah. it is, I'm not really sure what it is, yeah. it's just it's not us. Well, all we have to do is go overseas and then come back on a plane full of Australians, mm-hmm. and then you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, hello, real world. I'm back. Yeah. 
<laughs> but then it also, I mean, I guess thinking about whatever that, that mainstream is, um, particularly in, you know, our contemporary really, really bullshit political times, there's yeah. this sort of like um, what it means to be Muslim is then um, it's, it, it's, it's not enough it seems to some people to just um, appreciate and enjoy that there is the richness and this tension and this mashup and that that's actually what Australia is there's um, this kind of either either some kind of nonsense fear or trying to get people to like you know not even think about well quite often it seems to really bug people when someone like me pops up and I don't fit what their idea of what a Muslim is and it's like and they kind of they they want to push back (laughs) and question like you know (laughs) Having said that, it comes from other Muslims as well. Occasionally, when they, when I've been questioned on that, okay, are you really a Muslim? And it's like, why would I make that up? <laughs> yeah, like, you know, yes, I am, and I might not fit their expectations of what a fellow Muslim should be and sound like. Um, so it comes from both ways, but there's a hell of a lot of non-Muslims who think like yeah. that. I guess I've always had the privilege also of um, not having to take it on board that much. Um, and part of that is being a, a man. It's a, I'm yeah. a lot less recognisable. Yeah. Muslim women will cop a lot more abuse. Yeah. And people who will do that, um, they just, they come to the, you know, they're racist or just about always misogynist. They can never spell, you know, all of these things. <laughs> but, I mean, it's just part of what makes it so vile. You know, they will attack who they perceive as, you know, softer targets, I guess. When they, and you won't get the abuse if you're a man. Yeah. Just because these you know, people who are going to do that are like, that's the way they think. But it does make you very angry because mum has copped so much abuse. I mean, she's been here since 1970. Yeah, wow. And she, and she came to very few Asian people here. And she copped so much abuse. It was the middle of the Vietnam War and she oh, was got all this abuse for that. And it's never really stopped. Just the reasons why have slightly shifted, <laughs> you know, but it's never stopped. She's always been... I mean... It, we live in that like, very divisive and sort of you know, so much racist rhetoric and yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah. But I remember as a kid in the 80s, in some ways, all there was was racist rhetoric. We didn't even have language to describe other ethnicities that wasn't derogatory. And it was, you know, telling, you know, all these terminologies and you know, people keep complaining about adding letters to the LGBTQI and stuff like that. But the reality is, in the past, there wasn't the terminology to even describe how people yeah. identify themselves. And so it all fell into derogatory language. And, you know, we've all been through the 80s and the 90s and the whole idea of, you know, politically correct language. I mean, it's, it, but it came about for a reason. And none of it's bad, you know. The more language we add, the more, you know, the more vocabulary we've got to describe people. Ah, exactly. And it, right. that is so important. Yeah. Yeah. And also just to, for everyone to have the right to um, identify themselves yeah. the way that makes most sense for them. I mean, I, th- I think it's just one of the most disappointing aspects of, I don't know if it's Australian culture or human nature in general, that, um, um, you know, that sense that somehow, uh, and this just feels bizarre to say because I just can't relate to this in any way, but there are a lot of people who feel like, you know, someone else's identity somehow affects them. Somehow it takes something away from yeah. them, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Which is mind-boggling. Yes, mainly the main culprits are the straight white, straight white men of the world. <laughs> Let's not beat around the bush. Well, but yeah, whenever right. something you have that much power and yet feel like it's being taken away yeah, from you. Yeah, <laughs> everything is taken personally. Like it's somehow going to dip into 
their pocket, you know, their lifestyle, mm-hmm. take a little something, when the reality is that everything only adds. Yeah. Yeah, and it's not even adding something, it's just recognising something, which is already there and has always been there. Yeah. So those little recognitions somehow takes away from somebody else. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think that's just insanity, but... And I, you can't even... It, it is a kind of insanity. Yeah. Like, it's actually a very strange kind of neurosis. Well, it's not even sort of a, a, a what discussion. It's like, yeah. what are you going to discuss the pros and cons of this? Like, there, <laughs> there are no cons. Yeah, so... <laughs> Do you ever consciously make work for those kinds of people? Because there's a certain, as- there's a certain sense mm. where when you, when you see a work in a gallery and it is either of a human form in some way or, or, or an animal form in some way, that you do do that kind of like, how does this relate to me and my humanity and, and, and so on. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I guess, do you mean like do I make work for those people? who I don't really want to have any other interaction with. <laughs> yeah. Not yeah. really. No. I like to make works for my own in some sense. Yeah. And, I mean, we do, we do exist in a quite a rarefied field art, I guess. It's, there's, you know, yeah. We do preach the choir a lot. And the reality is we those do. people aren't, are very unlikely to wander into an art space and go, I am moved by this work, you know. And that's okay because, like, I'm, mainly if they hate stuff online... Then I'm happy. Yeah, you're <laughs> doing the right thing. Yeah. And it's, you know... Yeah, like, I don't make work for them, yeah. I guess. Why? Exactly. They have the whole rest of the world. <laughs> <laughs> they have everything else being spoon-fed to them. <laughs> and the more work that we make, uh, and the more work that in particular artists like yourself make for the people that you want to connect with and inspire, that, that is expansive. That makes more world and more oh, yeah, space. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, being a finite world and takes space away from those other kinds of destructive voices. I mean, I guess it's a way of saying that, like, art can be political without being defiant or without being explicitly political, you know. Yeah, well, that's right. In the um, panel discussion last night, uh, Christian Thompson talked about that quite a lot, you know. And and I was reacting to a lot of what he said and trying to remember it because he's really articulate. It's going, wow, these turns of phrase, I've got to try and commit some of these. (laughs) Um, But that idea of, you know, this is not an educational moment, you know, you know, he's um, being viewed as an Aboriginal man or if I'm being perceived as an, a Muslim slash whatever else. Mm. But it's like, yeah, I'm not out there to instruct anyone or to educate anyone or to, yeah. you know, tell them, you know, say I'm okay, I'm all right, I'm not violent, <laughs> I'm not oppressive, and, you know, I'm a human being and that. I just kind of, in some ways I feel like it's a bit of a political act to just disregard that and sort of, I know what I'm not and yeah. I'm not going to give any oxygen to, you know, any thoughts otherwise. Um, yeah, so because the work's always going to be kind of framed politically, and quite often all that takes is a non-Anglo name of any description, or a recognisable, a recognisably indigenous name, or mm. anything like that. It's always, uh, you know, it's always perceived as the other, you know, or judged in proximity to normalness, to whiteness, <laughs> sort of. And in, in this case, you know, a very Anglo-centric whiteness, which is, you know, and I mean that not necessarily as a colour, but as like a a, yeah. An outlook, a perspective. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't really see it as ex- like explicitly political. Yeah. I, mean, I want to make things that are much more experiential, I guess. Mm. And you know, it's probably a dirty word, but poetic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's not. Yeah. It's not a dirty word. Tell me what yeah. you mean by poetic, because it's such an evocative word, and it's so important, mm. I think, for artistic practice as a process as well as for for works. Yeah, I guess that that idea of poetic is. I mean. 
I guess it's taking into account an aesthetic experience or subjective mm. experience and not playing to it, but, you know, using it as a strategy, I guess, you know, using a sort of poetic moment as a, um, you know, for, I guess what it's like, kind of seductive qualities, you know. Mm. I mean, that is one of the things I love about art. It can be beautiful and... You know, then there's, I don't think there's anything wrong with trying to add some beautiful things to the world. Oh, yeah. Um, but uh, I suppose it's from the way other people have described what I do. <laughs> it's like, so I was like, okay, I'm going to embrace that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I can see why, because, you know, the, if you think that the, the poetic in relation to the beautiful, if we think about what's beautiful just, you know, abstractly and they're not in relation to your work, we often think about just a very kind of, you know, um, clean formal aesthetic, you know, we think of beauty as a state of perfection or yeah. something that is um, sublime, but then the poetic is almost something that it makes you stop, like there's there's a moment of, of awe or um, um, of something that... Um, has just provoked in you an insight or uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's putting you in two different places or three different places and and it's introspective, it's intimate, it's seductive. Yeah, certainly it can just sort of transport you for a, even for a second, you know, something you do pause on, I guess. Mm. And I suppose as an artist, that's all you ever want from any audience is to get a pause out of them to let, yeah, to let people sit with something for slightly longer <laughs> than, you know then scrolling a feed or something like that, you know, just to pause on something. And speaking of pause, uh, tell me about your other work in, in, in Calas. Oh, which is the other work? Yeah, yeah, it was, um, there was three different works in there, mm-hmm. and that was uh, that dinosaur, Everything is True, was from 2012. There was, um, it was a bit of a spread because there's a work mm. from 2014, uh, which I did after I did a residency with Campbelltown Arts Centre. Um, me and my brother did, uh, worked with a group of um, kids at Eagle Vale High School. Um, and it's pretty much, it's a, a, a wooden TV, which I've burnt black, and in the front, it's got the, they actually glow in the dark letters in resin, which um, say so we know who did it. Um, and that was, we did two weeks with these guys, and they were all like little, um, some old boys who were the naughty kids, apparently. <laughs> um, but when, when, on, um, when we went out there, we did all this research, we were looking up, because this is the first time I'd really done a residency like that. I was only a couple of years wow. out of uni. And going, just looking up the area, you know, what it's like out there. And all you get from the, the news is, you know, how terrible it is and how, you know, <laughs> so much crime and, mm. and so little opportunity and all this. And, yes, all of that is true, but when you're out there with them, the, you know, the, these kids at high school are not thinking those terms. It's just their world and they see yeah. it as family and all their family and friends and that's, you know, that is the area. That is actually the heart and soul of it and all the statistics and what you get in the newspaper is, as you'd expect, only focused on, you know, the most, the, I don't know, the sellable mm. points. Mm. Um, but one thing that had come up was this, uh, someone had burnt down a big part of the school, um, <laughs> as you do. <laughs> and one of the first things that came up with these kids, because I brought it up, you know, because it was just a thing that I read about, and they just said, oh, we know who did it. And that, that was it. There was sort of a real solidarity around that. And I just yeah. thought that described, you know, this, um, I guess, this polarity between the kids and the authorities, the teachers, and, mm. all, and you know, the authorities at large. And it was, they were just so happy and comfortable in the knowledge that they knew, but 
you know, they were never going to tell. Oh, yeah. I thought, and that is beautiful. Yeah, that is awesome. That. Yeah. yeah, totally. It was just such a – it was a defiance, but it was almost just a – it never occurred to them to not. Yeah. And I really liked that. Yeah. And that kind of, like you say, friends family, that, that familial kind of, like, is an honour to, you know, that yeah, 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 yeah. And that work, as he, as he came into the gallery, um, and, and where it was positioned, so I mentioned the pause, it was like a, a screen on pause, but then it's a screen and yeah, it's on <laughs> bricks. And yeah. then you think, okay, and then you come close and you realise it's been burned, then you wonder what it's made of, and then you're like, okay, so there's just so much of... Uh, you know the material and the story and so on, and then and then you're almost like, you know, trying to like piece together this crime because someone knows who did it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so much is happening right there. Well, I remember when they said that, and I was like, I'm not going to press. I'm not going to ask who did it because <laughs> who am I? I've just stepped in from the outside. Like yeah. I'm just going to celebrate the fact that you know that there's an empowerment in yeah. them knowing, and the other's not and I'll be a part of that not because you know I'm not from here. Yeah, so that's fine <laughs> with me. Yeah, it's really actually good to. What really helped with that whole thing was my, my brother and I coming in as brothers because there's something very relatable about that. I mean, yeah. they were all, all the kids we were working with, you know, they were all cousins with each other, they were yeah. family, they understood family. And so that really helped, I guess. And I kind of just looked like an uncle to them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> my brother can be the cool young one who relates, and I'm just the older, friendly uncle. <laughs> He's got that kind of cheeky, oh, yeah, 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 you did it, yeah, okay. Yeah. And then you've got the, yeah, the sort of wisdom. And <laughs> <laughs> a grey beard is not actually wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> no, I reckon it is. I reckon that should be, you know, we're talking about merging and established. There should just be, like, you know, grey beard, not grey. <laughs> got to earn your beard. Exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and then what was the third work in the show? Well, the third work in the show was one from 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, they quite varied the works. I mean, people always look for links and that, but there's a real diversity in the in the whole show. Yeah. And they're really the, um, the last one was a work called The Boy the Boy Who Couldn't Sleep, and that was from a show last year I did um, in Melbourne, a solo show. Um, that one was just actually looking back at uh, Nightmares, and again, most of my works point to different family members, and this one was uh, it was it was actually it's a, I mean sport self portrait me as a little kid, but it was it points to my sister Rabia, and I remember her describing nightmares to me, oh, wow. which would just haunt me. <laughs> well, we grew up in a very haunted house, so <laughs> Did that you didn't get help. Nightmares too? Not that much. I was um. I was a fairly nightmare-free kid. Yeah, wow. I so had no ways and means. Oh, then, very haunted. Then was a, we're then absorbing her nightmares. Yeah, yeah. And, and, but um, a big haunted part of that. how I like to rationalise nightmares and sort of deal with being terrified, because, you know, you get oh. at night, you can be just oh, totally. so shit-scared. Um, but I always would imagine myself as the creature in the nightmare, become the monster. Ah, how thrilling. And in that way, then, you know, um, you, know you, you just sort of negate the fear in some sense. Mm. Um, sort of try and, try and own it, become become the monstrous figure. Little did I know that a little Muslim kid was going to be the monstrous other than anyway. But <laughs> I was just prepping myself. <laughs> but, it's important we mm. prepare ourselves for roles in Australian life. Yeah, but apart from that, that sort of, like, and the boy who couldn't sleep is, you know, sort of one half of it is that idea of just, you know, you can't sleep out of terror, and the other half is that, yeah, that insomnia is, uh, you know, is a symptom of the presence of the supernatural. You know, and that's just yeah. one of those things that that happens. Um, yeah, so that that's that works. It's sort of very introspective, I guess. And then I just love putting that boy you know, in a space. Yeah. So he's sitting yeah. there, like just glaring out or keeping watch 
on that space. But if you look close, he's just got black eyes under there mm. and he's a little mm. horned figure. He's like his little demon child. He does look demonic. Like, yeah. you, you're drawn to it and you want to just kind of like, oh, what's, what's, what's going on? What's he going to do to us? Like, there's this yeah, sense that he's... He's the little monster. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and I can't help but drawing it back to this, but like you were just saying about you know becoming that that creature and and, and, and that animal, um, mm. I you know then I draw that back to uh, the golden triceratops and yeah. it's kind of like you know and the animals and you know how that's you know developed in in your work in ways that you know you 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 had been surprised by how how much mm. of that is maybe like you know inhabiting this other way of being. I don't know. It's... I guess there's a few of my works where I sort of want to cross that one as sort of, it's not, I guess, anthropomorphizing animals, mm. but looking for mm. something in between. I mean, yeah. there is a sort of, um, not a wild nature to being a human being, but sort of recognising that we are creatures, you know, yeah. we're messy, organic creatures in every sense of the word. Um, yeah. Not sure how to describe that. Because <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't ever say, you know, think of it as wildness or animal, animalistic, but I don't see regard animalistic as, you know, out of control mm. anything like that. It's almost um, recognising your own organic basis in oh, some yeah. way. And for me, like, that kind of thing's always about instinct and yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the sense that, you know, we just... I and mean, I think this is one of the... Um, the really compelling things about being an artist is is uh, like understanding how to draw on your own instincts and like you were saying yeah. about what's valid and what's not to make work mm. from but then um, we sort of again that that mainstream um, with there's this sense of like distinguishing ourselves from animals as though that's a different world that we can master or that we can control yeah, 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 yeah. like well actually you know we are actually, I know, well, we I've are never creatures. I've kind of always been Resistance to that of being in, intuitive as an artist, like intuitive all into things. I've never liked that idea, and I felt that it was, um, you know, you always got to have a reason. You got to have an objective, cold hard reason to do everything you do. Oh, yeah. And maybe that's something that you know, in the future I'll become more comfortable with because it's clearly a thing, <laughs> which I might have to recognise. But I suppose the other side, the way I make work is pretty, um, not clinical, but it's like there's not a lot of intuition or, or you know. Freedom and experimentation. Mm. I'm, I'm like carving something that really I, I want to look like a, a certain thing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there is always like leaps you make in your mind as you go, and you know, that's just part of it. But it really feels like a process, a very fun process. I love mm. it, but um, it's very much a process. Intuition kind of sounds more like, um, yeah, the sort of like the, the, the opposite of judgment. In, in a yeah, sense. yeah. But then when I think of instinct, I think of conviction, like the the, the things that. That's a good way of thinking about of. it. Yeah. Yeah. And how you become certain of, like you were saying before about like what's an artist or what isn't an artist, and then there comes a point where, when you're no longer, you, you take the, the the emerging away. There's mm. there's a there's like a whole set of conviction that's about well I am now adding to what it means to be an artist yeah 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 I guess at some point you do feel like that and then that's when you feel like you're a peer or something you're like you're adding something you're contributing and like this is cool because you know people will recognise that and they'll let you know rather than you feel it yourself you almost have to be convinced by everyone else every artist is like that I'm sure they're so unsure but the world's telling them that what they're doing is awesome but even like the you know some of the best artists you meet it's like it's amazing how unsure they are still yeah. and part of it's like oh my god maybe I'll never be sure 
<laughs> I guess I'm comfortable with that. Yeah, I hate to be sure, too sure of myself. Yeah. Oh, you got it. Like that openness is 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 everything really. Like that's oh, what I, drives us. I kind of like to think that most artists fluctuate, and you know, this is by the minute or by the second in being completely assured. You know, going, this is the greatest thing ever, and at the same time, going, this is the worst thing ever. Everyone's <laughs> going to hate me for this. And it's constant, and you just got to try and end on a high, because <laughs> like, that deadline will just come, <laughs> and hopefully it lands on a high. But I think it's just an up and down. Everyone must be like that, I'm assuming. <laughs> well, let's end it right there on that. On a high, high. Because I reckon if we had this conversation again in like a week, it'd be totally wildly different, which is just amazing. But Abdul Rahman, thanks so much for talking with us. No worries, thank you. So much to think about. <laughs> Head to our website visualarts.net.au for more information on NAVA's advocacy and campaigns for improving the working environment for Australian artists and arts organisations.